One night, a house caught fire and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. The father stood on the ground with outstretched arms, calling to his son, jump and I will catch you. He knew the boy had to jump to save his life. All the boy could see, however, were flames and smoke and blackness. As can be imagined, he was afraid to leave the roof. And his father kept yelling, jump, I will catch you. But the boy protested, daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, but I can see you. And that is all that matters. That is all that matters. When we turn into the book of Judges, we see a people who can't see God, but they're called to do a mighty work. And this could be their same response. God, I can't see you. But God is looking to them and he says, but I see you. And that's all that matters. As you're here today, maybe you can relate to that. You go, there are things going on in my life and I can't see God. I can't see God at work. I wish I could see him visibly. I wish he would speak to me audibly. I wish he would send an angel that would just terrify me in the night and say, this is the will of the Lord. All right. God's looking to you, Christian, and he's saying, I see you. And that is all that matters. And so as we look to the book of Judges, I want to first point out that this is not a standalone book. It, it comes in a line, a, a narrative of things that have happened all the way from the very beginning. The book right before this, Joshua, is a story of great defeat, great victory. Them going forth and conquering Jericho. And a mighty leader named Joshua. And now Joshua has lived his days on the earth. And because ultimately of the curse of sin, it brings forth a physical death. And Joshua is coming to his physical death. And he has encouraged him once again at the end of Joshua not to swerve from the word of God, to remain straight in following the commands. And now we open up to the book of Judges, and the first thing that we see right out of the gate is this question. Read with me in Judges chapter 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. So imagine thousands of people gather together because sometimes when we think about the Israelites in the Old Testament, we think about them on the felt board and there's only like five or six of them. There are thousands of people in these tribes, these 12 tribes. And so they come together before the Lord, not sure exactly what all this looks like, but we know that they're calling upon the Lord. Who shall go up first for us? And God calls upon Judah. Now, Judah is not just a single person. He's calling upon the tribe of Judah. He's saying, this group of people are to go before me. So they're following in the line of Joshua. They're used to having a physical person, a mediator before them. And right now they don't. So they're saying without Joshua who goes, okay, it is Judah. We will now go up. And 
He says, behold, I have given the land into his hand. So we ask this question right out the gate. What confidence does the tribe of Judah have as they go up against the Canaanites? How do they know they're going to win? How do they know that they're the ones to go forward? The only confidence that they have is God's word. God's word. And the same for us today as we have gathered into this place of worship and we have uh, together collectively uh, sang songs to the Lord and we bear testimony and we pray. And now we come to the word and we say the only hope we have and that this salvation will be fulfilled and it is the real deal is the word of God, that God's word is indeed true. And here's the beautiful thing. We're going to get to see it played out right away. And so they trust in God's word. And then in verse three, and Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites to their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Basic. Now, this, this begs an interesting question. Judah then turns, after being told that they are to go up, Judah immediately turns to the tribe of Simeon and says, hey, you, you want to go halves on this? You, you want to go with us? Uh, let's do this together. I mean, don't we have people like that in our lives that we feel like God's calling us to do something, but we don't want to be alone in doing it. We want to have backup. We want to have reinforcement. So uh, there's, there's one thought in this, that this is actually a, a, a view that, that this is disobedience. God didn't call Simeon to go with Judah. Judah was to go. He didn't say take Simeon as the backup. So right here out the chute, we could see that there's this, what, this slight disobedience down a slippery slope of not trusting God at his word. Whereas other commentaries, they look at this and they go, uh, not necessarily. This could be that there's good fellowship among the camp, that they're able to work together, that there's unity. And by all means, that's important for us, church, that we will work together, that we will join arms linked together and that we will go forth for the glory of God. So whether it's a lack of confidence or camaraderie, I think we will see both in this book. We will see a struggle of a people who have seen great victory, but yet those great victories aren't enough for what they'll face next. So there's going to be this cycle that we're going to see in the book of Joshua. Okay, And, and it begins with this obedience. They obey and they are trusting what God has said to do. And then there's this temptation. They're going to be faced with all types of temptation. And, and they just have to trust and obey God's word. But then there's the temptation. If they fall to the temptation, then there's this sin which they fall to. And then they lament and they go, this is misery. This is not what we expected. And then they are led to repentance where they're saying, you are the Lord. Save us from these idols. Save us from this destruction. And then goes obedience. And you go, okay, now they've got it. But then immediately they go to this temptation to this sin, to this repentance, to obedience, to temptation, to sin, to um, repentance, right? And then to obedience once again. And we go, that, that sounds awfully familiar. That looks like my life. Where I walk in in obedience, but yet there's that temptation again. And then there's that sin. And 
I'm repenting once again, and I feel like I'm, I'm just going in this cycle. We're, we're going to see this all throughout the book of Judges. And we're going to come to some good news that the more you follow Christ, kind of what you see is, is this tight winding circle as you go through life, that it moves more and more towards obedience. Yeah, you're still going to be tempted, but a lot of those things you used to be tempted with, you're not even tempted with anymore. And the things you used to sin in, you, you, don't, you don't sin in anymore. And yet you're walking in this obedience. That, that's the goal. We see that, that this walk with salvation is filled with many like ups and downs. Okay, like I'm on the mountaintop now and I'm in the valley now. And oh, I'm on mountaintop. Oh, I messed up. I go straight down and it's like stocks, you know, up one day, down the next day. Okay, that's how we see salvation. But really it's this cyclical thing that's happening. And what we want is we want it tighter wound up to obedience. We want to obey. That's walking in the fullness of Christ. It's just trusting in God's word. And so here God has said, go. So whether it was through doubt and asking Simeon to come along or whether we see good fellowship, they go and here is the outcome. They win. They win. They take out 10,000 men. And so now we come to this question and we're going to face this in the book of Judges. So kind of see today is, is like your introduction to Judges. But there's this conflict of a loving God who calls a people to go kill another nation, to wipe them out. We're not just saying, hey, take out their leaders, take out everyone. And you go, that's, that's not the God that I serve. I, if indeed you serve the God of the Bible, it is the God that you serve. And you go, but I don't like that. I don't like that a loving God would command others to go and take somebody else. What right do they have? And that's a great question. That's a great conflict to have because many in the world will go, I don't want to serve a God like that. How are you any better? And the response is, we're not. All of this is for the glory of God. All of this is based on the grace of God. And that we will see here in this passage what we understand is that man is sinful and naturally against God and no man is without excuse for his sin. So if God wanted to, he could wipe everyone out like he did in the flood and just be done with it. He could very well do that. But do you know that we don't deserve the cross? We deserve the flood. When you look in the Bible, we deserve the flood. We deserve death and destruction. That is ultimately what we deserve. That's what every person deserves. Even the Israelites, they deserve it as well. But no man is without an excuse. But, but, but furthermore, here's what we see in Romans chapter 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Time out right there. Why? Do people not believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? Because by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. The truth is before us. The truth is there. The truth is not hidden. The truth is out there. But due to man's wickedness, due to man's unrighteousness, he suppresses the truth. He says, no, thank you. No, thank you. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Without excuse. My dad used to say all the time when I would make an excuse, he'd say, son, excuses are for losers. I used to hate that statement because I would always have a good rebuttal. I mean, no, 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 you don't understand why I didn't cut the grass today, okay? I had some other things to do. I mean, I, I was really killing it on Sega Genesis, right? And I just couldn't quit in the middle of the season. I had to keep going, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I had the Dallas Cowboys. We were rocking and rolling, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, we were, we were going with this. And he says, excuse her for losers. Get out there and cut the grass. And, you know, we, we are we're notorious for, for coming up with excuses. And that doesn't exclude when, when we go talk about God. We look to God as it's God's fault for all of this that has happened. We want to blame God who created the world and put us in it and said, well, why are all these things this way? It's man's fault. Man has sinned against God. And if God were just, and he is just, he could just wipe everybody out. And so when we're reading this in the Old Testament, that's, that's the foundation we got to start with is that God is holy. God is holy. He has the right to use any people as his instrument to go against another people who don't love him, who don't worship him, who deny that he is God. And the result of that is death and destruction. He's told everyone, and here it is before us all, that you can walk out the door and see that there's a God, but due to man's sin, he says, nope, no thanks. You gotta, you gotta give me more. Oh, you, you wanna go into the galaxies? Okay, you wanna see all that God has created out there? Oh, you wanna see that the earth really isn't flat, that it is round? Okay, we, do we want more? And we keep going further out and further out and further out. And we can keep going further and further and further. But the problem is, is that when you go further into the heart of man, you see that his heart is a rock. And he's just saying, not enough. Not enough evidence. So did Israel sin? Were they sinners? Yes, again and again and again. And we're gonna get frustrated with them. But the moment you get frustrated with them in this book, you just start recounting your own life. Okay, and you're going, okay, I'm with you. I understand, I get your struggles. So yes, they did sin. So why is it that they are on the winning team, wiping out other nations? Why do they get to be the winners all the time? Is it something special in them? Well, one, they get to be on the winning team here in this passage is because that God commanded them to go and conquer. So God is the champion. Jesus is the hero of the narrative. And so when he's saying, you go, you go, you obey, you conquer, you win, follow me. That is, that is it every time, every day, we are tempted with this, aren't we? Should I obey or should I go and enjoy this sin over here? Oh, it is so enticing. I know it is not for the glory of God, but I just love it. And so we choose to sin and then we regret that sin. We go through this cycle when really it's obey and there's victory every time. 10 out of 10, 100%, every time it's a victory. So if they obey the word of God, they're gonna go forth and conquer. So number one, that's why they're on the winning team. But number two, here it is. Before this command, God generously and lovingly chose his people, not based on their merit, but fully by his grace. That's why they're on the winning team. That's why they're being called to do this. The people of Israel were clearly chosen. They didn't come to a point as a nation who said, you know what? I think, I think we're all together, we're gonna serve God. No, they were in slavery in Egypt and they had nothing to do with God 
And when he delivered them, they constantly said, can we leave this God and go back to Egypt? So I'll remind you that this people group, the only hope they had is for God by his grace and by his goodness to choose them, to pluck them out to say, you are mine. If you're not convinced, let's look to the scriptures. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Wow, what a privilege. I mean, if you just stop right there, you start feeling really good about yourself, right? I mean, you start feeling like you had a little peace in this action. But then he continues on. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you, the fewest of all peoples but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is beautiful because here's what we love to do when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. We like to think that somehow our relationship with Jesus is different than anything else that's ever happened. But no, if you are following Christ, you fall in this same line of God making a promise to Abraham and him saying, my offspring, it is your offspring that the people will come. As, as many as the stars in the skies, as the sand on the shore. This is a work that God has forever been doing. And it, and it continues in this narrative. And so here we are in the midst and judges and he's reminding them, hey, you're the call people, go up and win. But what about all these other people? Well, what we see here in judges are wicked, wicked people who do wicked, wicked things to others. And God is the last thing on their minds. If we were to turn to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29 says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Wow. Do you know why God chooses? Do you know why God, through his love, elects a people for himself? It's because through all of this, when they have victory, they know that it was not of themselves and they will boast in God. Church, our only boast is in Christ. And their only boast here is in the work that God is doing. And you say, is it fair? Is it fair that some people here and, and what we see in Judges that he has his people and then all these other people aren't his? Is it even fair? We wrestle with that. We struggle with that. We don't like this doctrine. We go, man, how could this be? This does not settle well with me. But when you look at Romans 3, 10 through 12, you see that there's no other way that it could be done. Absolutely no other way. There's no other alternative because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except through him, then we have to accept all that Jesus came to do. And what Jesus came to do was the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was to show his love to his people. And if he didn't show his love to his people, no people would love God back. 
Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Why is Paul writing this? Because he has some Jews and he has some Gentiles who are reading this letter. And the Jews probably think we deserve it. We've done a little something here. We seek after God. And he's saying, not you Jews. No, not you. Uh Uh-uh, not anymore. You don't seek me. In fact, if you look at your history, as we are in Judges, you'll see that I do many great things through you. And then you turn around and you rebel. That's immediately what you do. You're not good. No, you're not good. You're not righteous. None of you Jews are righteous. And then he looks to the Gentiles and he's saying, you Gentiles, you, you never worshiped me. You made all different types of idols. You, you made these, uh, these idols that represent my creation. So you've just, you've just taken what I've made and you've worshiped it instead of worshiping me who, who made all of these things. So, so none are righteous. No, not one. So again, this is the foundation of which we start in the book of Judges. If not for the grace of God, there would be armies upon armies, nations against nations, warring against one another. And it would all be in vain. We would continue to have wars, wars upon wars upon wars for, for no good purpose at all. Because every single king, commander, soldier, drummer boy, wife, king, or kid would already be defeated by sin, doomed for eternal death. If this is true, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But yet there's good news. God takes his people and he says, I have a promise that I've made and I will not break my promise. My promise is not based on your behavior. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on just you. My promise is so much bigger than you. And I'm going to fulfill my promise. And so the nation of Israel has no grounds for arrogance. But we know how it is when we start winning. We get a little bit of pride, a little bit of boast. We want to tell everybody who we root for and how excited we are. Everybody know we're part of the winning team. There's something with that pride and and joining with people and conquering but their only boast is in God, but not for this other guy. Speaking of arrogance, when you look in verse five, I wanna point this out on the front end as we start today in Judges. Verse five, they found Adonai Basic at Basic and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Basic fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Ouch, right? Verse seven, and Adonai basic said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table as I have done. So God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. Wow. Now next week, as we begin our message next week, we'll kind of come back to Adonai basic and to see that in in this action with Israel or with Judah, uh, cutting off the thumbs and the toes, was this actually them following in obedience or were they now practicing the way of the pagan? So that'd be an interesting uh, suggestion for next week, but not getting there yet. What we see is that there's this Adonai basic and, and who is this guy? He's Lord of basic. He's the man. He's killed thousands of people. He's taken their kings and it wasn't enough to put the sword through them. No, he had to cut off the thumbs and he had to cut off their big toes. And he didn't leave them outside the palace. No, he brought them inside and he put them on this big long table. 
And he says, you're gonna feed from the scraps like dogs. So this seems like a man who's very powerful, right? He seems powerful. He seems strong. But yet this is a very insecure man because victory wasn't enough. He had to embarrass his opponent. I mean, if there was any time to, to throw a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct on the opposing team, here, here it is, right here. It's basic. But what does he say? After abandoning his men, because I mean, he, let's just say it. I mean, I'm gonna use a very biblical word here. He was a chump, right? <laughs> he abandons his men, leaves them to themselves. They catch him. And he only cares about himself. He says, you know what? I've experienced many victories. But this, before this ultimate defeat, I was powerful. I was top dog. In fact, I took other top dogs and I made them my pet dogs. Man, don't you know people out there like this? Aren't we sometimes like this? We feel like the top dog and that other people are our pet dogs. They're not as good as us. They haven't accomplished as much as we have. We're in a different status than they are. We may feel that way as a nation. You may see what's going on in other nations and say, do not care, don't care. They're pet dogs. We're top dogs. Proud to be an American. We go, those people out there, they're not like us. You know, I've, I've said this before. In fact, you can plan to go to Nicaragua this year. You can plan to go to Guatemala. And you can take the same prideful spirit with you to those lands and be of zero effect. Even in the name of a missionary, feeling like a top dog. And this man, Adonai Bezik, he felt like a top dog, man. He had all these kings who were now his pet dogs. Do you know what happens when you don't have your thumbs? You know what happens when you have your toes? You can't fight without your thumbs. You can't hold a sword without your thumbs. You go to wave that sword and it's easily knocked out of your hand. But, but worse, you can't stand without your toes. So these men are crawling on the floor when others used to bow to the floor to worship them. Here's this man who not only defeated his opponent, he humiliated his opponents. You see, he couldn't get enough. One victory was not enough. Two victories was not enough. Three victories was not enough. He needed more. He needed more. He collected these kings as trophies. And he could point to them at any time. If anybody ever questioned his authority, his power, he says, look at these guys. Look what I've done to them. And now, as Judah comes upon him, as Simeon comes upon him, they capture him and he's treated the same. What can we learn from this? What's one takeaway that we can learn from this? Kings will rise and they will fall. They will rise and they will fall. Kingdoms will rise and they will fall. Empires rise and fall. Dictators rise and fall. Because death is coming to them. Justice is coming to them. And justice comes to this man. But it comes from his own lips. From the lips of a sinful, prideful, yet insecure maniac come these words, as I have done, so God has repaid me. Israel was God's instrument of judgment. And so when we look here in these first seven verses, and, and, and listen, if you're thinking, oh my, is he going to go just five or seven verses through all of this whole thing? No, we're, we're going we're gonna to take a huge chunk next week through about two chapters, but 
I wanted to slow down right here in, in the front to, to point out this man and to say that, you know what? They're seeing that there are many out there who are more powerful than you and that you have no chance at seeing follow Christ. Know that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And that when we look at this picture here, we see a man now as a, 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 a wretched sinner who has no problem with what God has done. He doesn't look here and go, how unfair. Who are you people? Why, why, is, he, why is he giving you power? No, there's no argument from him. And may we take that to heart and may there be no argument in our hearts against God that he shows his grace. He shows his love. What is it based on? His love. All on his love. And so the whole no thumbs, no toes thing, what, what do we do with that? This is a picture of us. This is a picture of us going before God. No thumbs, no toes. We can't fight for righteousness. We can't stand before holy God. We're down on the floor taking scraps. Any of us who think we're better than we, we, we are need to pay attention to this and understand that, listen, we're a defeated foe. We have no hope. Sin has its grip on us and will destroy us if we don't place our faith and trust in Christ. If you're here today and you think that you've achieved something or that you're gonna achieve something, it's just right around the corner, but Jesus isn't even on the radar, you have no thumbs, you have no toes. You have no place to stand. Your only hope is Christ. Bow down, submit to him, trust in him so that you can fight the good fight so that you can stand in righteousness. I refer to this hymn I did not too long ago when we were looking at Martin Luther, but when it comes to defeating sin and receiving eternal life, there's only one who went up for us. And so when we began this passage, saying, who will go up for us first? Who, who, who is this person? Ultimately, the answer to this question is Jesus. And Jesus went up. It's our mighty fortress, great hymn. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name. From age to age, the same. He must win the battle. You're saying, what's the, what's the point? What's the hope? What's the purpose of being here? It's that Christ wins the battle. Christ is Lord and Savior. Christ brings you purpose. Christ fulfills you. All throughout this book, we're going to see the people of Israel turning to idols. And we say, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I have any idols, but do you? Right now, have you turned to another individual to give you hope, to give you purpose? Maybe in a dating relationship. Maybe you're seeking out a dating relationship and there's that person and you just think about them all the time. You, you call them all the time. You probably text them too much. And you're thinking, I, I just really care about this person. And this person, they complete me. Like they make me whole. That's a good example. That's, that's an idol. Nobody completes you except for Jesus Christ. And if, and if you are in the fullness of Christ and you are completed in Christ, you're gonna be the best that you can offer to that person, by the way. But then we may take our jobs and we say, as long as my job's going well, man, I'm, I'm good. But when job is bad, talking like a three-year-old, when job is bad, when the job is bad and, and I come home, man, my attitude stinks. Or when my ball team is, is not doing well, my attitude stinks. Idol, idol. I mean, can we, can we keep going on? We have idols. 
We have big idols. Think about what have you spent the most time on this week? Would there be a one of us who says, you know what? I think I spent the most time in the word of God this week. I think that's where most of my time went. That doesn't seem to be kind of the answer that we're getting when we gather together, is it? And, and, and here's why, because we, we have many idols that we toy with and we're looking for saviors. And yet there are many broken saviors out there. And maybe you have a broken savior right now. Kids, do you follow Jesus? Or are you looking to your parents to do all the saving because your parents can't save you? They can't. Your grandma can't save you. Your granddad can't save you. Your student pastor can't save you. College pastor can't save you. Pastor can't save you. We have many broken saviors that we are hoping in and putting our trust in. They all fall. So just as Judah was called upon to go up, God sent his son coming in the tribe of Judah and he possesses all power and authority to save. John 17, one and two. This is the prayer of Jesus to his father before he goes to the cross known as a high priestly prayer. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, father, the hour has come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So here's the joy in following Jesus is that he has all the authority. So this is what it looks like in following Jesus every day, trusting in the word of God, every day, trusting in the authority of Jesus Christ. Even when you go, God, I can't see you. And Jesus says, but I see you. That is all that matters. That is all that matters. He saves us of our sins and saves us from continuing to sin. This cycle we were talking about, what is our hope that we just don't have to keep going in circles and circles and circles is that as we go in these circles and we trust in Jesus, we draw closer and closer to Christ and obey Christ and want Christ and wanna know what his word says. Here's what J.D. Greer says about broken saviors. How can they save us when they themselves need to be saved? If you're putting all your trust in people, you're losing, you're dying. There's no victory in that. Put your hope and trust in Jesus. The ones who need to save us cannot have the same problem as the one who need to be saved. Deliverance from sin and death. Here's the good news, is that Jesus never sinned. More good news, Jesus took on our sin at the cross. Why is this good news? Because if you have your faith and trust in what he did on the cross, then you know he died for your sins. And him dying for your sins means it's finished. So that if you're struggling with things that you have done even this week and you're going, he would never love me for that. Sure he will. You're a great candidate for salvation. <laughs> he died for real sin. He went up for us because there's not a one of us in this room who could have gone up for anybody else. There's no one in the world who could have gone up. And you say, well, you know what? I, and we talked about this in community group this morning. And, and I'll say this in closing. 
There, there are many people out there who say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. That's a big problem because you can create a Jesus that you like. I had somebody ask me last week because at the end of, of the messages, I implore you to repent and follow Christ. And I had a lady ask me after the service last week, she said, how many do you really think, what percentage of people at Perimeter Road Baptist Church do you think really don't know Jesus? Like, do you think there are people in this room that don't know Jesus? Could you give me a percentage? And I said, I can't give you a percentage. But I'll tell you, it's more than you think. You know why? Because it's testimonies like this. It's testimonies where people say, I believe in Jesus, but I also think everybody can choose their own way. I believe in Jesus, but I, who am I to go condemn anybody else if they don't follow Jesus? You know what I'm saying? You hear those conversations? That happens all the time. Who, who am I? to condemn someone else. No, 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 you're nobody. <laughs> you're nobody. And neither am I. But we serve Christ. And in Christ, we can stand and we can fight the good fight. And so when you tell somebody they need Jesus, they may reject you and say, you're wrong, I don't need Christ. I have any other way. And you say, but do you believe the Bible? Do you believe God's word? Let me ask you this, church. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe his word? Because evidence that we don't believe his word is when we will have these conversations and people will say, you know what, is Jesus really the only way? And you come back with this excuse. Well, you know, I mean, as long as you believe in something or you have religion, it's okay. Didn't work for Adonai Bezek. And it's not gonna work for anyone who stands before a holy God and says, you know what? Yeah, you created the world. You created me, created all things, but I chose to worship your creation instead. It's not gonna work. So what do you take away today? Jesus Christ has gone up for us. Do you believe this? Are you a follower of Jesus? And are you today following Christ? Are you presently following Jesus? And if you're not, call upon the Lord. Look to Christ. If, you, if you've never been saved, meaning you've, you've never come to a point where you recognize you are a sinner and you need Jesus and that your sin offends God, then put your faith and trust in what he did on the cross. It is real, it has happened, it's finished. And know that you can place your faith in Christ and be saved and that you can follow him every day, trusting that he went up for you and that he will come back for us. Church, if right now you find yourself and you're not faithfully following, there, there's something, you're just kind of stuck at this whole sin place. There needs to be repentance so there can be obedience. This is, this is what he saved you for. He saved you for obedience, not to continue in your sin. And the evidence that you have been saved and to follow in obedience is that you will obey and that you'll do his commands. It can be a very scary thing when there's this lack of evidence for a long period of time. Go before the Lord and examine. Examine your heart before the Lord today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Judges we see that there is a great need for someone to stand and lead. And yet we'll see many broken judges in this book. But we thank you that Christ is not broken. He's not flawed. He did not fail. He came and he accomplished. He fulfilled. He did the will of you, Father. May we wholeheartedly believe this. May we wholeheartedly go forth 
fighting the good fight and standing firm in the faith. May we not waver, may we not compromise, may we not apologize for your word. May we trust in it. May we take great joy in it. May we see the power in it. May we live according to your word daily. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.